ABC Listen. Podcasts, radio, news, music and more. Good morning and welcome to AM. It's Wednesday, the 31st of January. I'm Sabra Lane coming to you from Nipaluna, Hobart. The political public relations battle over the federal government's planned changes to the Stage 3 income tax cuts is well underway. The government's trying to pressure the coalition into supporting them by claiming the vast majority of taxpayers in all Liberal and national electorates will be better off. In the meantime, the Greens, whose support is possibly key in getting the revamp cuts passed in the Senate, are making the case about why the package should be altered again. Political reporter Evelyn Manfield has more. With federal parliament returning next week, the government's planned shake-up of income tax cuts is about to face a new test. Here's Greens leader Adam Bant. We're looking at ways of fixing Labor's plan so that low and middle income earners get more. We also want Labor to justify why they're spending $84 billion on tax cut for the top end when that money could go, for example, towards getting dental into Medicare. With Labor possibly looking to the crossbench to get its tax changes through the Senate, the Greens are using analysis they've obtained from the Parliamentary Budget Office to show the 20% of lowest paid workers will only share $100 million of the $23 billion in cuts in the first year, with the highest paid workers getting the lion's share, a reason they say to make some more adjustments. These are liberal light tax cuts that still benefit the wealthy and leave everyday people behind. It may well be something that Peter Dutton and the Liberals end up voting for because the top 20% still get 50% of the benefit and people in the top tax bracket are the biggest winners getting three times as much as an average income earner. And while the coalition's coy about whether it'll support Labor's changes, the government's trying some persuasion of its own, claiming 85% of taxpayers in coalition-held electorates, including opposition leader Peter Dutton's Queensland seat of Dixon, will be better off than under the already legislated coalition-era tax cuts. I think the sensible thing for the coalition to do would be to support this package because the the optics of, um, of not supporting it would be... Quite difficult. Mark Kenny is a professor of politics at the Australian National University. I think what's actually been underplayed in a lot of the, lot of this debate so far is the extent of pressure that comes on the opposition because just as labor was wedged in uh, 2019 when this the, the coalition government put up the three stages and said we're not going to separate them has to be voted on as a package. The coalition now is faced with a situation where if it votes against this this change, it will be voting against tax cuts for 11 million Australians, better tax cuts than they were going to get. The official line from the coalition is that its position will be made clear in due course, but some, including the LNP's Warren Ench, don't want to be seen as getting in the way of the cuts. We can't change the decision that's been made by the Prime Minister and you don't want to stand in the way of it. That's my personal view and it's one that I will express. I see it as a short-term political fix in the eyes of the government and the Prime Minister. And he's selling it that way. I mean, he's obviously conscious of the fact that there'll be an election in the next 12 months or so. But it does not does not address the problems that we have, particularly in relation to uh, bracket creep. The final test of who will oppose or support the tax cuts will come when they're put to a vote in Parliament. Evelyn Manfield reporting there. 
Undercover Israeli forces have stormed a hospital in the occupied West Bank, killing three Palestinian militants. The Israeli military claims they were planning an imminent attack. It highlights how the war in Gaza has spilled into other areas. Global Affairs Editor John Lyons is in Jerusalem. John, tell us about what happened at this hospital. Sabra, these are truly extraordinary and bold killings. The security camera footage from the hospital in Janine shows 10 or so Israeli commandos. They're disguised as medics and Muslim women, and they're carrying props such as a wheelchair and a baby's car seat. They go into the hospital in search of three men who they then killed. Uh, The men were asleep at the time. It was about five o'clock in the morning. What's been the response from Israeli and Palestinian authorities? Well, the Palestinian Authority says it's a massacre inside a hospital. Interestingly, Hamas has claimed one of the three men as one of its militants and the Islamic Jihad has claimed another two. Um, And the Red Cross has said that this, uh, under international humanitarian law, hospitals and medical patients should be protected at all times. But Israel is saying that these men were planning an October 7 type attack which therefore would negate any protection by humanitarian law. Meanwhile, Israel's Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu, he's been out in the occupied West Bank and made it very clear that the war in Gaza will continue. We will not pull out the Israeli Defence Force from the Gaza Strip and we will not release thousands of terrorists. None of this will happen. What will happen? Absolute victory. And John, is there an update on the possible US response to the drone attack that killed the three American soldiers at a military outpost in Jordan? Well, President Biden has said that he has decided that how he will respond to those those killings, but he won't detail that. Um, We'll only probably know that if he gives an address to the nation after it's happened. The White House is saying that any response could be a tiered approach. In other words, it may not be a single response. Um, And they say that whatever the response is, it will send a strong signal to Iran. John Lyons there. The cost of producing electricity has tumbled during the past year, raising hopes there might be relief from soaring power bills. The Australian energy regulator says wholesale energy prices fell between 44 and 64 per cent thanks to milder weather and an increase in wind and solar power. Nick Grimm reports. As more Australians turn to rooftop solar to shave their energy bills, Melbourne man Bill Pheasant is already on to his second system – after deciding his original setup was no longer up to the task. The solar technology had advanced to the point where it kind of made sense. So what's it doing for the amount you're paying for your energy? Oh, it's pretty incredible. You know, it's in summer it's pretty well zero for most days. He's not alone. According to a new report from solar market analyst Sunwiz, About 20% of new solar installations last year were done at locations already with rooftop panels. Warwick Johnston is the managing director. People are realising, geez, I'm going to electrify my home first. I'm going to start by adding an electric vehicle. Then I'm going to convert my gas water heater into a heat pump. But to do that, it makes sense to put a much larger PV system on the roof than I had previously. And while the overall rollout of solar has slowed... As a result of fewer solar farms being commissioned, 
both residential and small commercial solar continue to grow. Well, what we see is because there's so much solar generation out there, both solar farms and on Australian rooftops, that is pushing down the wholesale electricity prices. And of course, the more free generation you have that doesn't require any fossil fuel, then you're of course going to have very cheap electricity at that point in time. And the latest quarterly report from the Australian Energy Regulator shows that wholesale electricity prices fell between 44 to 64 per cent. The East Coast gas market spot prices also fell by 43% last year, both well below the record prices of 2022 and both partly because of an increase in supplies from wind and solar. And so this report really does highlight that there is a significant easing in the pressure that we've seen over the last two years. Tim Buckley is Director of Climate Energy Finance. And the vast majority of that is increased solar and wind, but we also have, after two years of hyperinflation in coal prices and methane gas prices, the Australian Energy Regulator is drawing attention to the fact that gas prices are starting to normalise and then coal prices likewise are starting to come down as well. So there's nothing like high prices to incentivise new supply coming on stream. In a statement, the Federal Energy Minister, Chris Bowen, says it confirms that government policy and record levels of cheap renewable power are contributing to much lower wholesale prices, which flow through to consumer bills. Meanwhile, Melbourne householder Bill Pheasant has no regrets about his investment. Not at all. It gives me peace of mind that I'm doing a small thing towards ending the use of coal, and it just kind of feels good. It's... The sun comes every day and we get to use it. Rooftop solar owner Bill Pheasant, Nick Grimm reporting there. The Federal Resources Minister Madeleine King is on a week-long mission in Japan and Korea, trying to reassure both nations that Australia will remain a reliable supplier of gas. Concerns have been raised in both countries that the government's climate ambitions could kill off major new projects. However, climate advocates are objecting to the minister talking up the gas industry. Here's political reporter Tom Lowry. Woodside's Scarborough project off the West Australian coast is massive. With a combined gross best estimate contingent resource of 13 trillion cubic feet of gas. And for some of Australia's major trading partners, it'll be a crucial energy supply, which is why the Federal Resources Minister, Madeleine King, is touring Japan and South Korea, talking up the future of Australia's gas industry. Australia will remain a reliable supplier of LNG uh, for Japan uh, well into the future. And this is because uh, we need energy security in our region. Both countries have aired concerns about Australia's commitment to the gas sector. Madeleine King is keen to quash that. Energy security is of the most extraordinary importance uh, to a country like Japan that does rely uh, on other countries, but particularly Australia, for the energy to power its uh, its great cities. Uh, and we, I think, sometimes in Australia underestimate the importance of our role. In a speech delivered in Tokyo, the minister has pointed to Woodside's Scarborough Gas Project and Santos's Barossa Project in the Timor Sea, north of Darwin, as much-needed sources of future energy. Both remain under construction and subject to various future regulatory approvals, something noted in her speech. However, the minister's reference to the two projects 
subjects has angered some climate advocates, like Dr Jennifer Rayner from the Climate Council. To have the minister in Japan promising gas from Scarborough and Barossa before those projects have even completed all of their necessary approval processes to consider their climate impacts, their environment impacts and their First Nations community impacts is completely beyond the pale. And Jennifer Rayner has another issue with the minister's speech. Like... Australia, like nearly 200 other countries, Japan signed up at COP28 last year to accelerating a phase out of fossil fuels. So the message that Minister King could be sending is that Australia is open for clean business, uh, but that's completely the opposite of what she's saying at the moment. Madeleine King argues providing reliable gas supplies to countries like Japan and Korea helps them. Part of their pathway to net zero emissions, and they committed to net zero emissions by 2050 well before Australia did, is centred on using gas instead of uh, coal. So that's their pathway uh, and we will help them on their pathway. And the minister says while new gas projects won't be popular with some, other countries are relying on them. We each have a pathway to find on net zero emissions by 2050 and a sensible means of getting there is what we really need. We don't need radical extremism that that wrecks uh, economies around the world uh, and that will not be what I'm doing. Federal Resources Minister Madeleine King ending that report from Tom Lowry. The International Monetary Fund says the world's economy is doing much better than it previously forecast. It's now predicting a soft economic landing for much of the globe with fears of a recession fading. It's even suggesting that central banks around the world shouldn't wait too long before cutting interest rates, pointing to the second half of this year. This fresh IMF update follows stubbornly high inflation after the pandemic and geopolitical strife. For more on this, I spoke earlier with our senior business correspondent, Peter Ryan. Peter, why has there been such a big turnaround in sentiment from the IMF, given it had earlier predicted that a global recession was a major risk? Well, Sabra, this is definitely a glass-half-full outlook from the IMF, with economic growth upgraded for both the United States and China, the world's two biggest economies, and global economic growth coming in better than expected at 3.1% this year and 3.2% in 2025. So what the IMF is calling a soft economic landing may mainly due to a resilient US economy, which has defied fears of a recession, but also inflation slowing faster than expected in the face of geopolitical risk from the war in the Middle East, Red Sea attacks, and of course the war in Ukraine. There's so much confidence that Chief Economist Pierre-Olivier Garinchas sees interest rate cuts on the horizon after aggressive tightening over the last couple of years. So some food for thought for Australia's Reserve Bank which meets next week. Maybe if central banks remain too tight for too long, there could be a slowdown in economic activity or if there is a tightening of financial conditions or if there is another round of supply shocks, for instance, there could be downside to the global economy. What we are saying is we're almost there, but we're not quite there yet. And what we are saying and we are agreeing with that assessment is central banks holding off on easing until maybe the second half of 2024. And then that's when we anticipate that um, the Federal Reserve, the European Central Bank, the Bank of England uh, and others might start easing. 
Peter, that others that might point to Australia's Reserve Bank, how will that resonate with the RBA given the 13 rate rises it's imposed since May 2022? Well, Sabra, those 13 rate rises are lagging, but they're starting to hit. The IMF sees sluggish growth of 1.4% this year in Australia, back to 2.1% in 2025. A technical recession is unlikely, though we do know households continue to do it tough with a per capita recession confirmed in the most recent GDP reading. But you only need to look at retail sales for December out yesterday, which crashed by 2.7%. So despite strong Black Friday sales in November, spending pretty much fell off a cliff in the lead up to Christmas as cost of living pressures bite, meaning rates should stay on hold at next week's meeting from the Reserve Bank, opening the way for rate cuts by the end of the year. Peter Ryan. Women who want to breastfeed their newborn babies say they're driving hours to give help, get help or giving up because of a lack of healthcare support. And those living in regional areas are the worst affected, as health reporter Caitlin Gribben explains. We need to give small little feeds. We're just trying to get as much skin to skin for those early For hours. midwife Jenny Watts, this is much more than a job. It's a calling. Breastfeeding is an amazing emotional issue and, you know, that's something you've always got to be really, really aware of and what they want to do with their bodies. Based in Brisbane, she's been a midwife for nearly 40 years and has specialised in breastfeeding for decades. But she says women who live outside metropolitan areas often can't get that help. It's few and far between. There's a lot of very disjointed information and it's a very specialised field and so it does really disadvantage them. There are just over 2,000 qualities qualified lactation consultants in Australia, the majority in city and suburban areas. It was in the middle of the night when Western Queensland grazier Greta Weems acutely felt that lack of local support. I think it hits more so at two o'clock in the morning when you're trying to breastfeed and you're having trouble. And that's when you go looking for support. Like I've watched YouTube videos and signed up to Facebook groups that give recommendations on helping to breastfeed. But yeah, it is really mentally challenging to be having troubles with it and not know where to go, where to seek help. There are many factors influencing whether mothers breastfeed their children. The most recent National Health Survey from the Bureau of Statistics shows 38% of infants in major cities were exclusively breastfed during their first six months, compared with 23% in regional areas and 27% in remote Australia. Greta Weems ended up going to Brisbane because she couldn't get help at her and husband Matt's farm near Blackall, 10 hours west of the Queensland capital. There's no support. So you get sent home a thousand kilometres with this tiny little newborn baby and, and that's it. Like, there's sort of nothing. I think maybe there is some people, like, maybe silently struggling because there's not that follow-up and reassurance. Professor Lisa Amir, who's a GP, lactation consultant and La Trobe University Principal Research Fellow, sees mothers and babies with breastfeeding problems. She says rural and regional women need more support and the consequences for those who don't get it can be far-reaching. Particularly for mothers who really wanted to breastfeed, this can be very distressing. They can feel that they're not a good mother, you know, the image of the good mother that they had expected just to sit blissfully there with the baby on the breast. Actually, it's not as easy as that. So for some women, this can lead to 
you know, anxiety about their milk supply or possibly depression if they're unable to um, fulfil their goal. Advice and support, the experts say, can make all the difference for mums and babies. Caitlin Gribben reporting, and that's AM for today. Thanks for your company. I'm Sabra Lane. Hi, I'm Sam Hawley, host of the ABC News Daily podcast. When masked men clad in black tried to demonstrate in Sydney on Australia Day, police were quick to use the powers they have to get rid of them. They were neo-Nazis from across the country. So apart from making a scene, what do these men want and what are they capable of? Look for the ABC News Daily podcast on the ABC Listen app.